What's up? I, I'm laughing because I just got a text on my phone. Anyway, so excited that you're here today at Second Chance. Want to say hey to the people in the room. Want to say hey to people watching online, whether you're on our church website or the Facebook site. And have a building update, of course, at the end of the message. Today, we're finishing up a series in the book of Ruth. And then next week, next week we're going to kind of have a one-off message. And we're going to talk about the importance of our church in regards to the vision and why it matters to you. Like why it matters to you personally, why it matters to your friends, why it matters to your family members. We're going to talk about that. And then the week after is going to be a surprise. And the reason that's going to be a surprise is because I'm, I'm kind of wrestling between like two or three things and I haven't figured it out yet. So today, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, you're going to have a hard time. So just pay attention to the screen, okay? Because we're going to have a, we're going to have a lot of different scriptures today. And in, in order to set today up, let me kind of step all the way back to um, eons ago when I was in middle school. One of my hobbies that I got into for a couple years was this thing called slot car racing. Now, does anybody in the room know what slot cars are? Does anybody? Okay, just a few people know what slot cars. If you're watching, you might know what slot cars are. You might not. This is what a slot car track looks like right here. This is, this is like a slot car track. These are slot cars. They're about the size of a, of a shoe, okay, an average shoe. And I used to love doing this um, in the sixth and seventh grade, and I was like all in. I had a tackle box full of like slot car equipment. I had little tires, little engines. You could get rid you can drop a lot of money on slot cars. And I used to go to the slot car track and race for hours. And the goal was to actually, at the end of the day on Sundays, they would have a race and you could pay a $20 entrance fee. And if you won, you got like $200. And so, and so people go, that's gambling. <laughs> so is the stock market. So don't be a hypocrite. Anyway, um, and well, I want to pause. I want to pause because I'm going to email on that. Some people are going to go, the stock market's not a gamble. I've got some friends from 2008 that you should really talk to. They would tell you. Anyway, it's another message another time. I, by the way, I never won any money on slot cars, but I spent a whole bunch. I was at the slot car track one day. I never will forget this. And I was trying to get my car ready for a race. And I didn't get it ready. And there was another guy there, probably the calmest redneck I've ever met in my life. I'm talking mullet, everything. And he had a car painted like Dale Earnhardt's car. Not, not Junior, but Dale Earnhardt. And this is old school for some of y'all. It was the Wrangler car. I don't know if anybody remembers the Wrangler car. Buck, I know you remember the Wrangler. Yeah, so it was the Wrangler car. So he's driving the car around. I never will forget this. The car comes out of a turn, comes off of the track because it was going so fast. There's two people sitting there. It goes straight between them, goes right between their heads, hits the wall, and literally tires come off. Everything comes off. The car is like in a hundred pieces on the ground. And the redneck, I remember he looked up and he looked at the car and he's like, well, that'll ruin your day. And he goes over and he picks up the car and he starts putting it back together. Now the race was in an hour. And we're looking at this car, and it's in pieces on the ground. And we're like, there's no way that Billy Bob is going to fix this car. And so he's, you know, we're just kind of doing our own thing. Well, my car wasn't ready. I didn't get it for the race. About five minutes left to go before you could enter. He walks up with his car, hands the guy $20, puts his car on the track. And no, let, let me just put it, nobody there thought he had a chance at winning this race. Now, th this story would be better if I told you that the car kind of struggled and right at the end he pulled through. That's not what happened. This car dominated from start to finish. It won the race by like um, three or four laps. It was absolutely amazing. I never will forget, though, 
an hour before, this car is in pieces, and then it wins the race. Now, the reason I say that is because there's some people watching today or listening, if you're on the podcast or on YouTube, that at some point in your life, or maybe today, you feel like your life's in pieces, like it's like hit a wall and fall into pieces. And sometimes when we get at the bottom of the bear and we look at our life and it's in pieces, we're trying to figure out how in the world can this kind of get put back together? And if that's your question, man, you, you picked the right time to tune in today because what we're going to walk through, and by the way, let me say this, parents, if you got some kids watching, we'll go ahead and tell you at least this first part, it's going to be rated R. And it's not going to be rated R because I'm going to make it rated R. It's going to be rated R because I'm going to read the Bible. And there's some uncomfortable stuff in the scriptures, okay? So I just want to tell you, it don't, don't send me an email, but if, if you're letting your kids watch, you're going to have a little explaining to do. Hey, what was that about, mom and dad? And it's not my fault. I gave fair warning. I think everybody in the room's okay. I think everybody in the room's okay. Um, if your life's in pieces, how God can take those pieces and in his time, put them back together, and do things that will absolutely blow your mind. I want to show it to you. Now, last week, I gave you the point of the message right at the beginning, and we kind of worked it all the way through. Today, I'm not going to give you the main point until we get to the end, so you got to pay attention, all right? Here we go. We're going to start reading out the scripture, and the first person I want to talk to you about is a girl named Tamar. Now, I would be willing to bet that very few people know about Tamar or actually know someone named Tamar. It's not a very popular name. I'm about to show you why. Here we go. Genesis chapter 38. This is real interesting. Judah, now let me back up. You got Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Judah's one of those sons. Judah got a wife for Ur which is a weird name. I don't know how they named him Ur. Hey, what do you want to name your son? Ur. That's it. Write it down. (laughs) Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. That is, that's a, I don't even know why. I don't even know what that is. But parents, if you want to freak your kids out, that's a great verse to read to them right before they go to bed. What happened? Judah disobeyed his mom and dad. Sleep good. All right, let's keep going. Verse 7. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as her brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. Because this was common back in these days. We talked about that, in fact, a little bit last week where if you died, you'd marry, like the next in line would marry the woman and have a son so the family name could be carried on. But this is where it gets a little bit weird. This is where, where people go, I love the whole Bible. And I, this, is, this is where it gets bizarre. Here we go. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. A little awkward? A little awkward. Everybody, this is what I love when people go, I love all the Bible. Yet you're not putting that verse on a coffee cup, right? <laughs> not putting that verse on a t-shirt. Now, somebody probably will. I just, I'm not, don't, 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 in the name of Jesus. Here we go. Let's keep reading. When he did... What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. So everybody's dying. God's killing everybody so far. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, 
Live as a widow in your father's household. I love that. In other words, he's like, you need to go back to your father's household because everybody's dying around you. I got two dead sons, and you, you are in common. Like, that's all I can figure out. So you need to go back and live as a widow in your father's household until my son, Shelah, grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. Now, just to kind of uh, tease out the story a little bit more, while she's there, she realizes that Judah has no intention of giving his third son to her. because, And, and you can't blame Judah because two sons are dead. And so what she decides to do is actually seduce Judah. And so she dresses like a prostitute because she knows the route he takes when he goes back and forth to a certain place, dresses like a prostitute. And sure enough, Judah walks up and says, I would love, basically, I'd love to have sex with you. I ain't got any money. And she said, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right if you ain't got any money. Um, and in fact, this is, what, this is what she said to him. She said, um, he said, I'll give you a pledge. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. In other words, now to us, that doesn't mean very much. But in today's economy, that would be like, give me your driver's license and your social security card. You know, so, so like he must have wanted it bad, right? Because he said, okay. So he gave them to her and <laughs> slept with her. And she became pregnant by him. So the, the father-in-law impregnates the, the Tamar, her father-in-law. How jacked up is that? Like you think you, this is Jerry Springer in the Old Testament. This is Hebrews gone wild. This is, this is, if you grew up in church, you never heard this story. You know why? Because you can't flannel graph that. That's awkward as crap. Can we admit this? And it gets weirder. It, they talk about the birth. They talk about the birth. Let's see this. When time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. <laughs> so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out. And she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was named Zerah. Now, pause. I remember the very first time I ever read this story in the Bible, scratching my head going, I don't, I don't understand why that story's even in there. That's just, that's just bizarre. Can we all agree? You don't even have to be a Christian to agree with this. That's a bizarre story. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. So let's go on to the second bizarre story. We kind of hit this a little bit um, a few weeks ago, but I want to I want to kind of bring it back in because it's so important. The second lady I want to talk about, her name is Rahab. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, you know a little bit about Rahab, but I want to kind of talk about it in a little bit more, provide a little bit more context today. Context today. Israel is getting ready to go into the Promised Land, and the first battle, the first city they're going to fight is the city of Jericho. And so Joshua sends two spies to the city of Jericho, and they get there. And if you'll remember this from a couple of weeks ago, we said in Joshua 2.1, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. 
Now, I want to pause. That's shittim, all right? That's what that word is. It's not shittim. Some people try to, but, but when you are not where God wants you to be, you are in shittim, all right? So there's a whole other message for a whole other time. Go hook over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Pause. So the very first time we see Rahab in the scriptures, she's more than likely engaging in prostitution. Why did they go to the prostitute's house? Okay, it's in the Bible. Now, it gets a little weird because they, she, she's a prostitute, but she saves the spies. And the spies say, hey, because you saved our lives, when we come in and destroy Jericho, you don't die. Like, we're going we're gonna to make sure that you survive. And so sure enough, Joshua's given this speech in Joshua chapter 6. And I want you to notice something. He says to the people that he's talking to, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house should be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Stop. Why, why did he have to say Rahab the prostitute? Why couldn't he have just said Rahab? Why did he have to say the prostitute? All of us know what it's like. Every one of us knows what it's like to be identified by something that we did in our past. And there's some people that can't get over it. Joshua can't get over it. Because look at this the next verse. Look at this next verse. He can't even call her by her name. The Bible says, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out. And all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. In other words, Joshua said, listen, you did this. This is on you. He couldn't even call her by her name. It's a little bit disgusting. Oh, and, and just, just for a little bit more reference. But Joshua, verse 25 says, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family. Okay, once again, why can't you just call her Rahab? Why do you have to identify her by what she used to do? But every one of us know that struggle. Every one of us know what that's like. So that's so, so far we've got Tamar and we got Rahab, the third person. And we've been talking about her for about three weeks or four weeks or five. I, we've been talking about Ruth a long time. I had an Aunt Ruth. She was weird. Um, but, but Ruth, let me just do a really quick review. Ruth was from a place called Moab. Moab had a reputation for being a very sexually immoral place. Like the women from Moab, they would do any, like the women from Moab would do anything. Like that's, that's where like you went on spring break is to Moab because the women there were very sexually immoral. She had a reputation. She comes to Bethlehem. She meets Boaz. They get married, but at the end of the day, she's still a Moabite. And remember, the Israelites weren't even allowed to help the Moabites. So that's the third. We got a box going on here. We got Tamar. We got Rahab. We've got Ruth. And then, last but not least, we've got Bathsheba, appropriately named. You'll see that in just a second, okay? Bathsheba. Here we go. Um, the, the story about her is in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. 
They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Bathsheba, get it? Bathing, it's it's a dad joke. The woman was very beautiful, okay? Goes on. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his best friends, by the way. Then David sent messengers to get get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. A little awkward. By the way, David tries to bring Uriah home from the battle front. Uriah will not sleep with his wife. So David just ultimately has him killed. So you got murder and you got adultery. Now, I want to pause real quick. I want to pause real quick because I've never thought about this. I've always heard it taught from the perspective of what David did wrong. And I'm not going to argue. David obviously crossed some lines here and did what he shouldn't have done. But one time I was in Israel and I was kind of touring around with this guy. He's like more like a scholar than anything else. And he said that there's a lot of people that believe that this was as much Bathsheba's fault as it was David's. Because when women would bathe on their rooftops, they would cover themselves. And Bathsheba would have known, A, what time the king was going to walk out, and B, if she, if she would have really wanted to be shielded from the king, she would have covered herself. And so it's as much Bathsheba's fault as it is David's fault. So, so anyway, we get to the box here. We've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. What in the world that could come out of this that we would be good. Because let me show you what we have in this box so far, based on all these stories, the women and the men involved in these stories. The first thing is we have selfishness. Now, all of us can identify with that because all of us have been selfish. I get selfish when I'm stuck in traffic. You get selfish when you're stuck in traffic because you want everybody to move. I get selfish when somebody tries to grab some food off my plate because you should have ordered your own freaking fries because those are my fries, right? I get selfish. You're selfish. We all get selfish, period. So we can all kind of relate to the selfishness. And then the second thing we see is sexual sin. Now, pause. I'm not going to define that because we know what that is. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we had the thing, if you're in youth group, where the youth pastor drew the baseball diamond up, and it's like, this is first base, and this is second base, and this is third base, and this is the home run. You don't want to get the home run, so how far can you go with a girl? Well, you can go to first base, but don't go to second base because that's scoring position, and every guy in there is thinking, I want to get in scoring position. So it turned out to be just an awkward conversation anyway, right? Here's the, at the end of the day, everybody knows what that is. Nobody has to point that out. I'm not going to try to be the referee with a flag just throwing it at people. I'm just telling you, we are grown up. We know what that is. And if you're watching, you don't know what that is, ask your mom and dad. They'd love to explain it to you. The third thing we see is pride. There's pride involved in this box with the women listed and the men as well. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you what I believe, what I believe Pride is actually the most dangerous sin. People go, God doesn't rank sin. Actually, I think he does, because pride is actually what got Satan kicked out of heaven. 
And it's this thing that I kind of drew out this week. I call it the pride line. And what happens is we're all on the spiritual journey. BC is like before Christ, and this is us before Christ. And at some point, we meet Jesus. But then what we've taught in traditional Christianity is that once we meet Jesus, we continue along this path. The problem with that is two things. Number one, the further we go this way, the further we get away from people that need Jesus. And second of all, the further we get this way, the further we get away from the cross. And the further we get away from the cross, the more we forget how necessary it was for us to meet Jesus in the first place. So somebody can be a drug addict, meet Jesus, walk with Jesus for about five or 10 years, and then be critical of the people that are drug addicts who had the same behavior that they had before they met Jesus. Some, somebody, can, somebody can abuse alcohol or abuse anything, meet Jesus, walk, walk this way for five or 10 years, and then become hypercritical of somebody on this side of the cross or somebody who has just met Jesus and came just, to, just right here because they're not as far along as them. When in actuality, I believe when we meet Jesus, we're not, we're not supposed to go this way. We're, spo- we're supposed to continue in our, our walk with Jesus this way. And what happens is when we truly are walking with Jesus, he connects us with people on this side of the cross and connects us with people on this side of the cross. Pride will take us over here where we think we don't need this anymore. When in actuality, if it's not for the cross, we're all screwed. Now, number four thing that we see in here is idolatry. Idolatry is when you love someone or something more than Jesus. That's, that's just what idolatry is. It's just plain and simple. I don't have to give examples because we're grown-ups. We know what that is. It's when we love someone or something more than Jesus. And last but not least, we've got deception. We've got deception with Tamar. We've got deception with Bathsheba. We've got deception. This, this right here is, this right here is the slot car hitting the wall. This right here is just, can, can we all agree that this is messy? What good could come out of this story, these stories, this mess? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a, um, there's a book, the first book in the New Testament, it's the book of Matthew. If you've ever read through the book of Matthew, it's kind of boring. In fact, uh, the first chapter is, second chapter gets good. First chapter, kind of boring, because it's about so in the King James Version, it's about so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. But I want us to read a little bit out of the first chapter of Matthew with these names in mind. Here we go. This is going to be fun. Watch this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. Pretty big deal, right? Ancestors of Jesus. If you go on Ancestry.com and you can trace it back to Jesus, you're legit. All right, okay, here we go. A descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. 
That's a bit bizarre. The girl that had sex with her father-in-law? She's in the genealogy of Jesus? That's, that's weird. But we'll just keep reading. Perah is the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. How would you like that name? Ram was the father of that, that dude. That dude was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Simon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab? The, the prostitute Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus along with Tamar? Huh. Coincidence. Boaz was the father of Obad, whose mother was Ruth. I'll be dadgum. That's how we say it in the South. Isn't that kind of weird? The, the Moabite? The person that wasn't even allowed to go inside the temple or the tabernacle? Nah, we'll just keep reading. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. Do you see what he did? Do you see how amazing the grace of God is? He took four of the biggest mess-ups in the Old Testament. And we see them in the genealogy of Jesus. Because if you don't have Tamar, and you don't have Rahab, and you don't have Ruth, and you don't have Bathsheba, you don't get Jesus. How powerful is that? See, I... I'm just saying, I'm just saying that we've been told, hey, unless you, you do A, B, and C and one, two, and three, God can't use you. And I'm telling you, if God can use her situation and her situation and her situation and her situation to get here, God can use your situation and my situation as well. In fact, here's the main idea behind today. If Jesus can get through this mess, he can get through my mess. I don't care how messed up you think you are. I don't care how messed up you think your past is. There's nobody watching today. I, I, would, I would be willing to bet my last Bible on this. There's nobody watching today that has as much baggage as Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba combined. And yet without them, we don't get Jesus. So maybe you're watching today, and you thought, I am way too messed up to even be a follower of Christ, to even be included as a Christian, and I'm telling you, you're not. Because he takes what's messy and turns it into a miracle. And maybe you are a Christian, but you are in the middle of, you're just in the middle of a mess. And I'm telling you, listen, don't forget this. If Jesus can get through this mess... He can get through my mess. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you took some of the most messed up situations in the scriptures and used them to point directly to you. And Father, I want to pray this morning, first of all, for those here who feel like their life is too messy to give to you. 
God is Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and all the men associated with those ladies can give their lives to you. Surely we can as well. And I want to pray for those who do know you, Jesus, that feel like they're in the middle of a mess and they're wanting to just give up. God, I pray that you would remind them right now that you got through this mess and you'll help them get through their mess. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, and maybe because you think you're too messy, today you can give your, that's why you come to Christ. You just give him everything. Your whole mess, your whole, just everything. And he gives you, we give him all our wrong, he takes all our, we give him all our wrong and he gives us all his right. And so today, if you want to pray to receive Christ right where you are, I just want you to pray right now in your, in your heart and just say, Jesus, right now, I give my life to you. Take everything. I believe you died on the cross. And you rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, I receive that payment and give you my life. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life, the best I know how. Well, head still bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe you are a Christian and you just need right now to give Jesus your mess. If you just prayed to receive Christ, I want you to indicate with a hand raise on our Second Chance website. You can hit the hand raise button or on Facebook with a emoji hand raise. That would be great. And if you really have a messy situation, I just want to pause for just a few seconds so you, in your mind, in the sanctuary of your mind, can surrender that situation to God, knowing that in his time, he can take that mess and turn it into a miracle. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and for what you will do. We all ask this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you for being with us today. Sorry about any awkward conversations. I told you, get the kids away. Um, this, this is why I've always said if they made the Bible into a full-length movie, it would be NC-17 or MA. It wouldn't be G-rated, all right? There's some pretty, pretty scary stories in the Bible. Um, Hey, I wanted to give you a transition out of that into a building update. That was fun. There's no easy way to do that. So the building is coming along really, really well. Um, they got the stage built this week. They got the, some door frames. Um, we'll have some pictures for you next week. We'll have some pictures for you. And the giving is going pretty good. We've, we've gotten over $70,000. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. We get, kind of ran some numbers this week, and we kind of ran some timelines. If we're able to raise the $250,000 by the end of September, then we should be able to move in um, on the first weekend in November. If it goes into October, then we won't be able to move in until December. So for those of you that are giving every week, you're giving your regular tithes and offerings, thank you so much because it's making a huge difference. And for those of you that are giving to the 250K fund, thank you so much. It's making a huge difference. We're going to get there, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but we're super excited about it. Tune in next week to, to find out why and specifically why it matters to each one of us. I love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next week.